Let's try that. There we go. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews. We're going to try to go through two chapters this afternoon. Uh, two of my favorite chapters in the, in the Bible. Of course, there's only about uh, 1,100 favorite chapters in the Bible because there's just a little over 1,100 chapters in the Bible. Amen. Uh, Every one should be a favorite, but... Now, I don't know how many of you availed yourself of this, but one of the things that um, I believe God created Sunday afternoons for was a good old-fashioned horizontal meditation. How many people know what that is? Uh, that is a thorough understudy of the backside of your eyelids. Amen? Um, uh, it is a, a wonderful thing to get a little rest sometimes. And... Um, uh, some people say, ah, oh, that, that napping stuff is horrible. Uh, well, wait till you get my age, you'll find out it's actually a wonderful thing. Amen? Uh, the older you get, the better you'll be able to enjoy. And sometimes you, you just need to take a little rest. And one of the things with the holiday season and Christmas and New Year's and all of those things is there's just so much more to do. Uh, one of my children said, Dad, is, is Christmas your favorite time of the year? And they were expecting, oh, yes, it's just, no, it's really not my most favorite time of the year uh, because you've just got so many other things that just get added to the schedule. Now, I love taking the time. I love hearing the carols in the stores I love being able to talk about the birth and the, and the life and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and get a few more people to listen uh, than normally do. I love bugging all of the liberals and the God-haters by walking down the street and saying, Merry Christmas to everybody. Amen. Uh, I just love being an irritation to those who don't like those things. It's just part of my nature. And, and uh, But... Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 talk about rest. And one of the things that we just want to tie in here, and I'm, I'm not, going to, uh, not planning on spending much time during the actual Bible study, is uh, if you've ever run into anyone who is of uh, the Seventh-day persuasion, there are several Seventh-day groups. There are actually some Seventh-day Baptists there. Uh, the Seventh-day Adventist uh, is probably the largest group uh, of uh, people who believe that Christians ought to worship on the Sabbath day. And uh, just to make a, a long story short, you can study your Bible from stem to stern and everything in between, and you will never find the Sabbath and worship associated with each other. The Sabbath is rest not worship. Worship is how you're supposed to live. You're supposed to live a life of worship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That's not something God has relegated to one day a week. Now, we have our public worship services on Sunday, and, and uh, in all actuality, every service we have is, is a worship service because we come together we strive to learn more from this book called the Bible and leave here desiring to serve the Lord more. That's what worship is all about. Uh, I hope you understand the reason why we sing songs here. 
uh, is because we want to take time to sing those songs to the Lord. You're not singing the songs to Mr. Franz. You're not singing the songs to, to me. Or, or we're not taping this and sending it out to somebody so that they can evaluate our church's singing ability. We, we sing those songs to the Lord. And, and we have a time of the preaching because you cannot have anything. If, if you're going to worship the Lord, if you're going to live for God, it's all got to be because of this book called the Bible. Amen. Everything we have is in, in this book called the Bible. And what we're doing here in, in chapters 3 and 4 of the book of Hebrews is the writer of Hebrews. And by the way, don't argue about who wrote Hebrews. Nobody knows. Uh, I've read books on the subject. One guy, he was so astute, he said, if Paul didn't write Hebrews, well, then that means Paul only wrote 13 books in the New Testament, and that's not a very lucky number, and so therefore Paul must have wrote the book of Hebrews. The depth of scholarship. We will never know how far it will go. By the way, the guy that actually said that, this was part of his mastoral thesis for his master's degree and he is a very well-known nation-to-nation Bible uh, preacher and teacher. I'm not going to tell you who he is because, uh, but it's ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. The writer of Hebrews here is asking us, we're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling... Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Now, as it's talking about our profession, that's not our job. Amen? It's talking about the pronunciation or the speaking of our faith. How did you get saved? You spoke that faith. You profess Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so what we are doing here is he says, I want you to consider the heavenly calling. I mean, partakers of the heavenly calling, that's those who are saved. I want you to consider the apostle and high priest of what we believe, that is Christ Jesus. It says, who was faithful to him that was, uh, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. Now, this book is called Hebrews for a reason. It was written to the Jewish people. This book, without the book of Hebrews, your Bible would forever be a mystery to you. It is, this book is the book that opens our understanding to all of the types and the pictures and everything that is in the Old Testament. It, is, it gives color to the New Testament. If you read the New Testament without understanding the book of Hebrews, it's like going back in time and watching one of those six-inch black-and-white TV screens. I mean, you can only see so much. If you apply the book of Hebrews, you now have 54-inch plasma TV, high-definition with surround sound. I mean, it gives you the whole picture here. Uh, in fact, there is so much 
in the book of Hebrews that you'll, you'll never get it all in this life. And, and uh, Lord willing, one of these days, we're going we're gonna to step into the deep water and go through the book of Hebrews verse by verse. It's going to take us a while to do that. But we just want to skim over the surface here. And what he's doing, he's saying, listen, I want you believers to understand that just as Moses who gave us the law of God, who God called to Mount Sinai, was faithful and served God. So did Jesus. So was he faithful. And we come down here, verse 5, it says, And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house are we if we hold fast, the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Now, before you get excited about that and say, ah, there you go, if you don't hold firm your faith until the end, you lose your salvation. That's not what it's talking about here. It says, look here, it says, Wherefore, because of this, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart and have not known my ways, so I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. Now, that is one of the pivotal turning points in the Bible. When he's talking about the provocation, that is where they sent, remember the song? Twelve men went to spy on Canaan, ten were bad and two were good, right? Uh, that is the provocation that he was speaking about. The ten spies, the ten men that went to look at the land of Canaan came back and brought an evil report and said, God uh, has brought us to a land to destroy us. Now, that makes a whole lot of sense. That's why he did all those works in Egypt and parted the Red Sea so he could bring them out of the land of Egypt and away from Pharaoh's army to be destroyed by the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and all the other ites and bites that live in the land of Israel. Doesn't make a bit of sense, does it? And God said, because of your lack of faith, you are not going to enter into my rest. And they wandered 40 years in the wilderness till every person of that generation over the age of 21 was dead. Now stop and think about all of those funerals that they had to have. I mean, uh, somebody did the math, and I'm, I'm not standing by it, but the number was somewhere around 100 funerals a day for 40 years. Stop and think about that. You talk about being consumed with death and dying. That's what these people did. Um, I mean, if somebody wants to do the math, take 40 times uh, 360, which is the number of days in the Jewish calendar, and then divide that by uh, 2.5 million, and it should come out somewhere around 100 and something a day. Uh, I think, and um, but the simple picture here is 
those people believe God, painted the blood on the doors. Passover is a picture of what? Salvation. They went through the Red Sea, a picture of baptism. And they missed out on God's blessings. And that is what he said, I swear, un I swear in my wrath, verse 11, they shall not enter into my rest. Now here we get into the part that applies to you and me. Verse 12, it says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. For But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness, and to whom he sware that they should not enter into his rest, but, unto them that, but to them that believed not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. We as Christians need to be careful. There is a lot that goes on in this day under the name and the auspices of the Lord Jesus Christ that has absolutely nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet more importantly... There's a lot of simple things that are in this book called the Bible that we willfully ignore because they're difficult. You know, taking the land was not going to be a simple operation. I mean, they were going to have to go in. There were battles that were going to have to be fought, cities that were going to have to be destroyed. I mean, there was a lot to this thing. It wasn't just sitting down and playing tiddlywinks and all the inhabitants of Canaan came out and laid down and said, please uh, do away with us and take over the land. They're still fighting over that piece of property. And uh, uh, yet they refused to believe what God said and because they refused to believe what God said, they provoked him to anger and reaped or repped the benefits of that provocation in the fact that they never once set foot in the promised land. Now, the warning is to you and I that we need to take heed. We need to exhort one another. Now, verse 13 says daily, not just on Sunday, not just on Thursday. We need to exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now, this is, this is where it goes. I mean, uh, if, if I were to ra ask you to raise your hand, how many of you committed sin this past week? Every adult in this place would have to raise their hand and say, I sinned. I, I broke God's law. I failed. I, I was doing my best. I tried. I wanted to serve God, but I, I messed up this week. I've sinned. I've had to go to God and ask Him to forgive me for that sin. But if we're not careful, 
that sin will harden our hearts. We'll get comfortable with it. That's one of the greatest problems with this thing called the television set. If you have any age on you at all here today, you will remember a time on television when there were no underwear commercials on television. Uh, if there were, it was the package, not people showing you what they look like. Uh, there were very little cursing on television. There's a whole list of words that you could not use. Uh, there was no uh, bare bodies. How can, uh, can we just put it that way? I mean, it just wasn't there. You were not allowed. You got put in jail for that kind of stuff back then. It just wasn't there. Today, it's everywhere. And to a great degree, the same people that were going, Oh, that's terrible! Back in the 70s, when all this stuff started coming onto the television, are just sitting there going, Oh yeah, we've got to get through this commercial, get back to my show. And seeing these things, and they don't mean a thing. We get desensitized. That's how your heart gets hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. They say the average child growing up in a home where television is watched by the time they're 10 years old has witnessed, what, 11,000 murders or something like that on television screen? It, it's an unbelievable amount. And we have to watch ourselves or our hearts are going to be hardened and we are going to miss out on the rest that God has for us. There's a whole lot of stuff in this head up here that I just wish wasn't up there. Things I've been exposed to, things I have seen, heard, uh, 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 many of them not purposefully. You're just walking down the streets. You see and hear things that you just wish you didn't have to see and hear. But you know something? You can't go up there and take it out. And that's why we need to exhort one another. There's, there is a place where ignorance is bliss. If you do not know what it is to live in the world and to live in sin... It's not a temptation to you to go back. Amen. That's what we want to do with the children that are here. We want to protect them from these things. We want to set up so many barriers that they cannot crawl over them and get into the world and destroy themselves. We want to protect them from these things. And so verse 1 of chapter 4 says, Number 1... We, we need to take heed, but if you want the key to this whole thing, let us therefore what? Let's try that again. We got one. Let's see if we can catch it a couple more. Let us therefore what? Okay. You say, but, but pastor, being afraid is not a good thing. Well, it depends on what you're afraid of. Amen. Being afraid of the dark? That's not necessarily a good thing. Being afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow, that's not necessarily a good thing. But being afraid 
of losing out on the best that God has for you, that is a good fear to have. You ought to be afraid that you can lose the rest that God has for your soul. And you know what? You can. You can lose a lot of things as a Christian. You can lose your testimony. You lose your testimony. What, what do you have left, my friend? You're going to go up and say, well, I used to be a good Christian, but I'm a rotten Christian. I did a bunch of rotten things, but Jesus is still good. Who's going to listen to you? Anybody going to listen to you? You know, that's the problem with a lot of these, what we call, ancillary sins. I mean, there's no verse in the Bible that says, thou shalt not smoke. But there's a reason why thou shalt not smoke. It's because it hurts your testimony. You cannot tell people how good Jesus is blowing Mr. Marlboro in their face. I'm sorry, it's just not possible. You, you cannot tell people how good Jesus is right after you finish telling them about the new blood and guts rip them, tear them movie that you just saw. Can you? If you can, there's something wrong with the Jesus you're presenting to the world. That's, that's one of our problems today is, is uh, uh, we have people going to, uh, what was this? Does anybody know what the Goths are? That uh, subculture of people that love death and dying and this, uh, uh, what shall we call him? Uh, a man devoid of any understanding of the scriptures at all. Uh, dresses up as a vampire, lays in a coffin in a goth bar playing heavy metal rock and roll music and rises up out of the coffin and says, see, I'm telling them about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead while I'm dressed like Dracula. My friend, that is blasphemous at best. Uh, you know, you, you've, you've got to. Uh, you cannot, I mean, we say this so often, but you cannot be that ignorant of the Scripture by accident. You've got to work hard to get that messed up. Somebody's got to help you. And uh, it, it, it is not someone who believes the Bible. I mean, the devil always loves to help you understand the Scripture. And, and when he does, that's where you end up doing stupid stuff like that. I mean, blasphemy against the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, we need to be afraid, my friend. There are some things we ought to be afraid of. Whenever I see that little bumper, that little sticker that says, no fear, I just mark it down. There goes a really ignorant person. Uh, there are some things you ought to be afraid of. And uh, losing your rest. that says, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now, you stop and think about that. What's he saying? He's saying here, I want them to enter into my rest, but my works were finished from the foundation of the world. Most of us have to work very hard 
in order to scrape out a living, to get things done, to accomplish what's going to count for eternity. Amen? I know the classes uh, might not be uh, as challenging as nuclear physics, but uh, if you do a good job at Heartland, you still have to work hard. You have to put in the time. You have to put in the effort. And you have to study all of those things. And yet the work is done. Now we better be afraid. The promise was made. God wants you and I to rest. He does not want us working ourselves frazzled. There's an old country song that comes to mind. It says, I work my fingers to the bone. What do you get? Bony fingers. Really, it's a real song. Uh, another one of those brainchilds at work. Amen. God doesn't want us working ourselves because when is the last time you did anything for God to count it? Amen. When is the last time you worked for God and got something done for Him? So often uh, I, I, I phrase it the wrong way. I'm sure I, I say, Lord, help us. But what we really mean is, Lord, you've got to do the work. We just want to be the tools in your hand. And we, we come down here to, to verse 8. It says, For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. If you want the rest, that God has for you. You have got to stop working and trust in God who is working. Do you remember all the struggle in your soul trying to figure out whether you were saved or not before you finally trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and got saved? Then you had rest in your soul, did you not? And that same thing applies to everyday life. Sometimes we just simply try too hard to live for God. It ought to be a natural outflowing of our relationship with God. And the last part of this uh, chapter here is going to be the, the main meat of what we, we, we're trying to get into here. And that is how you enter into God's rest. In verse 11, it says, Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the thoughts and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now, right here, we have the key. It said, let us labor to enter into that rest. Why? Because this book called the Bible is what makes the difference. It is what sorts out our own thought patterns. Have you ever been confused? saying, Lord, I want to do right, but I'm just not sure what to do. Get into this book called the Bible because the Bible is going to straighten out your thought processes. There are times 
when our heart just desires wrong things. Our heart is struggling with us. Uh, we, I, I often joke about getting your wanter fixed. You take it to the surgeon, the sharp two-edged sword, and let God start doing an operation inside with that book called the Bible. And, you know, it, it might sound complex, and I'm trying to make it simple tonight, but all we need to do is we've got to grab a hold of what the Bible says. God said, go into the land. They said no. And they lost out on God's rest. It's the seeming little things in life that make all the difference in the world. It is just doing the little things. You say, but... I can do the little things. It's the big things that have got me. Well, you start taking care of the little things and God will take care of the big things. Amen? You start getting a hold of where you are today and just grab a hold of this word and let it change the way you think. I mean, I, every time you drive, you have to battle with getting angry at people for cutting you off in these I don't know what they call them. I think they got their driver's license reading, uh, uh, taking a Braille correspondence course out of a Cracker Jack box. Uh, I mean, it, it is frustrating to me. I don't mind uh, if, if you want to put your life on the line to be the first one at the stoplight, be my guest. But, but I really get upset when you start threatening my life and my insurance policy. Uh, I, I really don't care for those things. Hey, but wait a minute. Is it right for me to get all huffy and puffy? And Does it do any good to yell at the guy through your own windshield? Hmm? Does it? Does it get anything accomplished? No. Well, it makes me feel better. No, it just gives vent to those deceitful things that sin will harden your heart with. It's the little things. You struggle. I mean, I struggle. I'm, I'm preaching about my sin. I struggle with these things. And, and you struggle with these things. We struggle with life. And we take the seemingly insignificant victories that are right there in our hands and throw them away so that we can reach out and get this big thing accomplished when it's the other way around if we just grab a hold of these little things that are in our hands, God will take care of the big things. Does that make sense? Hmm? Are we there? Okay. Now, we've got three more verses and we're going to be done. We're going to be done before 7 o'clock. I know it seems like it's 10, but we're going to be done before 7, all right? It says, neither... I mean, verse 14, seeing then... We have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The Word of God is there. 
But if it's going to be active in our life, we're going to have to spend some time at the throne of grace. It is not coincidental that our Sunday night service is the least attended service in our uh, weekly schedule of services. Because this is the service where we ask you to work. And we want you to pray. Now, there's a reason why I believe that why we have our prayer meeting on Sunday night and not on the traditional Baptist night, which is Wednesday night, and we have our service on Thursday, is, listen, during the work week, you're fighting with the world, the devil, yourself, all week long. What, what I want Thursday night to be is just a recharge time. Come in, plug into the Word of God, hear the singing of the hymns, get charged up so you can go out there and finish that last day and make it through till, till uh, Sunday. And, but prayer meeting, you've had Sunday school, you've had the morning worship, you've had Sunday afternoon to get some rest, amen, and then you have Sunday night and our Bible study time, all to get your heart ready so you can come before the throne of grace. We need help. Amen? We need God to do some work. I, I hope you are a little more afraid and a little more aware of what can be lost now than you were before we started this message tonight. I mean, the warning is there. We have got to be afraid of this thing, but we have to realize that our high priest is passed into the heavens. He has been tempted in every point as we are yet without sin, and he is standing there to help us to take this word of God and discern the thoughts and intents of our hearts to bring us face to face with who and what we are, and then he's going to fix it. Amen? Isn't that the best part? He's going to fix it. And then we can rest in the Lord and not in ourselves. You know, we have no idea what tomorrow's going to bring forth. But we need to rest in the Lord and be resting in the Lord. And we want God's grace. And I'll tell you, God's grace is always there to help in a time of need. He will bring you through. But He's not going to give you His grace unless you're willing to come and get it. And by the way, God doesn't want you sneaking into heaven and trying to snitch a little grace from out from under the throne. I mean, that's our attitude. We think that's being humble. That's, that's none of the above. God says, you're my son. You recognize your need and you announce that need loudly to the world in which you live and you come boldly before my throne and you're going to get grace. If you're going to try to sneak in the back door and, and uh, snitch some leftovers out of the garbage can, let me tell you, it's not going to work. That kind of grace is not going to help you. You've got to put yourself under the spotlight of that word. You, I mean, it's hard for us to admit that we need help. We're Americans. We don't need help. We help others. No. We need help. Amen.
we cannot do it on our own. And if you want God's rest, that's where you get it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and ask you to work and in our lives. Help us, Lord. There's not a one of us in here that is in not in desperate need of rest. We ask that you would work in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Before we finish that prayer, we'll just take a moment and open the altar. We won't have any music tonight.